Thank you, Kevin. In your bulletins, there is a rose-colored insert. I know some of you share bulletins, so I've asked the ushers if uh, I'd like everyone to have one of these inserts, one of these outlines today. Not just so much for today, but just kind of take with you and to reflect on it, to meditate on it. So uh, Calvin's at the back there. He's got some extras. I'd like everyone, so if you have one in your bulletin, but your spouse doesn't have one, just raise your hand. Calvin's going to hand out an insert here. just want everyone to have one to take with them. It's kind of a little bit of a technical start to the sermon this morning, and maybe the insert will help a little bit. Um, you know you know when a, a computer person is trying to explain to you what's happening with your computer or what they're doing with your computer? You ever been watching somebody and just kind of see their eyes glaze over? I, I don't want that to happen at the beginning of the sermon, but hopefully by having this insert in your hand, you can follow a little bit the technical... Uh, things that, that we might be talking about, because it's kind of some obscure stuff here. Uh, and don't forget the other side, Calvin, too. We got some hands on the other side. Sure, that's great. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 7. If you're working with the church Bible, the blue Bible, it's easy, easy page number, 1111, page 1111, uh, Hebrews chapter 7 this morning. We've been using the book of Hebrews as kind of a backdrop, kind of a, a background to, to some various themes we've been looking at. We've used it regarding uh, Christ our Savior, the things you see on the wall, sanctifier, healer, and coming king. We've kind of used the book of Hebrews just to kind of acquaint us with it a little bit. It's, Hebrews is not always the first book of the New Testament people look at, um, but there is, I think, hopefully we've discovered a little more to Hebrews than than we're used to thinking about. And we've talked about it in terms of discipleship. We patched it in last week with the Sunday School theme of discipleship. We talked about um, discipleship in the book of Hebrews. Last, uh, or this morning, Curtis was talking about the Sabbath. Hebrews chapters three and four talks about there yet awaits the Sabbath rest for the people of God. Two chapters about Sabbath and sort of the eternal aspect of Sabbath. Uh, from creation to eternity. So Hebrews chapter 3 and 4 talks about the idea of rest or Sabbath in terms of eternal life. Today we're going to talk about something a little different, something that's kind of obscure for us. It's the idea of the priesthood. Now, I don't know about you, maybe this is just me and I watch too many movies, but when I think of what's the best rendition or the most familiar rendition of what a priest might look like, I go to Raiders of the Lost Ark. And in Raiders of the Lost Ark, as they're about to open the Ark of the Covenant, uh, the bad guy is dressed in the garb of a Jewish priest. All the ornamentation and all the elaborate uh, specifics that were there for a Jewish priest. And so there's a, that's the image in my mind of, of the high priest uh, as he's described in the Old Testament. So chapter 7 actually is only one of four other chapters. Hebrews chapter 5, Hebrews chapter 7, 8, 9, and 10 are all about the priesthood, the tabernacle, the sacrifices. So it's a big part of the book of Hebrews. We're just going to land in chapter 7 this morning. As it also helps us focus on communion because it's going to talk about 
Jesus as our high priest. Jesus is the one who made the sacrifice for us. But it starts out kind of technical. Look at your Bibles there, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 1. It's talking about this Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God most high. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. It also means king of Salem. Salem, Jerusalem, means peace. So he's the king of righteousness. He's the king of peace. He's without father and mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life. Resembles the Son of God. Resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. Now I doubt in your Sunday school, I doubt in your VBS lessons, you come across the story of Melchizedek. I doubt in your devotion you come across the story. It only happens in two places. Genesis chapter 14 with Abraham for a couple verses, and then there is this one reference to him in Psalm 110. Now Psalm 110 is a very important psalm. You know how, not maybe not so much in the 21st century, but in the 20th century, it was hard to go to a funeral and not hear Psalm 23. As significant as Psalm 23 is for Christians in North America, whatever their stage of following Jesus, if they're nominal or hardcore, Psalm 23 is, is kind of a given, right? It, it's the go-to psalm. And the writers of the New Testament, Psalm 110, was their Psalm 23. Okay? That's, that's how important Psalm 110 was for the writers of the New Testament. Because their, their Psalm 110, verse 1, is the most quoted verse from the Old Testament in the New Testament. Okay? Psalm 110, verse 4, which talks about Jesus as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, it's sort of like John 3.16 for the writer of Hebrews. It's like his, his go-to verse to help them understand what God is doing and why he did it and who it's for. So Psalm 110, although it's kind of remote for us, is pretty significant for the apostles and the writers of the New Testament. It's kind of their, their go-to psalm to explain who Jesus is and what, what he's all about. And Psalm 110, verse 4, which is quoted here in chapter 7 a couple times, and previously in chapter 5, or sorry, chapter 6, is sort of the John 3.16 verse for the writer of this letter. So it, it's pretty important stuff. Those opening verses, and we're not going to go verse by verse, because the idea of the handout, I'm just going to land on a couple phrases here that I, I think have great significance for us, and just something to meditate on and, and to um, reflect on, not just this morning, but around the communion table and in your lives this week. But this Melchizedek guy, it's explained a little bit in those opening verses. That's kind of why I read them. His, his name, Melchizedek, means king of righteousness. But in the Old Testament, he's also described as the king of Salem. Salem is the original location where Jerusalem is now. Remember the story in the Old Testament, as they left Egypt, God said, I will take you to the place 
there's a certain place he's taking them to. And that place, ultimately, was Jerusalem, where the temple was to be built. So, Jerusalem has the root word shalom, or peace in it. So this Melchizedek was the king of righteousness. He was the king of Salem. He was greater than Abraham, because the story in Genesis chapter 14, Melchizedek shows up, he kind of just comes on the scene. Abraham has just collected his spoils of war. Melchizedek, we're told in Genesis 14, has just come from his victories in warfare. And Abraham offers Melchizedek a tithe, 10% of the spoils of war. So Abraham is offering a tithe to someone who is great. You don't offer a tithe to someone who is less than you. So that's important for the Jewish people to understand because Abraham is the father of the Jewish nation, right? So as far as Old Testament characters were concerned, Abraham was the pinnacle. Abraham, he's the father of Israel. But looking back from the New Testament, we also know that Abraham is to be what? The father of many nations. Through you, all the nations of the, the promise to Abraham is through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And so, thanks, Joe, for reminding us that Christmas is not far away. You know, Matthew and Luke have in their genealogies of Jesus this idea of back to the promise that was given to Abraham. Through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. So Abraham is significant, not just for Israel, but for the world. The problem was, the people of God forgot that their purpose was broader than their own nation. They, they forgot that they were to be a light to the Gentiles. And so the story of the children of Israel in the Old Testament is this forgotten purpose and God's constant attempt to try and, and steer them in, in the right path. Because children of Israel, you know, it's... It, For all the nations of the world to be blessed, it can't be a cultural, political, specific thing, right? It's not all the nations of the world becoming Jewish. It's not all the nations of the world following the Mosaic Law. So there has to be a, a breaking down of that barrier. It can't be political. It can't be cultural. It can't even be religious terms of the nation of Israel, it has to be much broader than that because it's for all the nations of the world, they're going to be blessed. So there has to be some way, and that's what missions is all about, figuring how to break through those barriers where the gospel can be brought in to another culture in the face of another religion. So there's this bigger picture that the nation of Israel in the Old Testament really didn't get. And so they need to be reminded there's something bigger than Abraham. And that's where Melchizedek comes along. Because Melchizedek, in these two little, this one little vignette in Genesis and this psalm, is pictured as somebody who is greater than Abraham. And it says God is going to do something different. God is going to do a new thing. And in a way, to understand Melchizedek sets them up to understand Jesus, who is greater than all of them. So in, in your little chart there, you've got these greater than and less than symbols. That's what they're supposed to mean. So Melchizedek is greater than the priest. The priests are less than, lower than Melchizedek. Melchizedek is less than Jesus, and Jesus is greater than Melchizedek. 
So th there's a reminder to the readers, there's a reminder to the Jewish Christians that there, there was a there's an anticipatory note, if you will. God left them an anticipatory, a little bit of a trajectory that's going to happen, and Melchizedek is that guy that says it's going to go beyond our borders, it's going to go beyond our laws, it's going to go beyond what we think God is able to do. And Melchizedek is sort of the indicator, because he's not from the right tribe. In fact, for those of you who are here when you study Joshua, Melchizedek is probably a Canaanite. The king of Salem, before Joshua and the people of Israel conquered the land of Canaan, is, is Canaanite property. Melchizedek is probably a high priest of God that somehow God set it up back in the time of Abraham that this Canaanite was going to bless Abraham. The greater always blesses the lesser. And Abraham was going to give him a tithe. Now, for those of you who understand the Canaanites and Jews, that doesn't make your head shake. I'm trying to figure out how God works. Because if we know what God needs to do, I'm not sure what God And so, Melchizedek sort of out of the blue appears, and it sets it up, as it says there, as we read, that part's kind of understandable, Melchizedek resembles the Son of God. He has no beginning, he has no end, there's nothing said about where he came, where, where he was born, when he died, because priests are always born and died, and it's according to a certain tribe. Well, that wasn't Melchizedek. Jesus was not from the right tribe. Jesus is not from the right place. Jesus' ministry was not in the temple. And so there's a uniqueness to Jesus that sort of is echoed and anticipated. Melchizedek is a kind of a precursor in some ways of Jesus. The priesthood was good. Melchizedek was better. And Jesus was sort of the, the progression. And that's, that's what the writer wants them to see because what's happening here is some of his readers, some of the people in this church that he's writing to, or this group of churches he's writing to, are going back to the old ways in, in Judaism, in, in the sacrifices, and the priests, and the laws, and they're, they're, they're going back, they're turning back to that. So the rest of chapter 7, that's the technical stuff. But that's, there's a progression, okay, and, and Again, understanding the, the, the Jewish background here and the priesthood and the law, and, and it's, it's like things are going to change. Things have to change because priests die and a new priest has to come in and there's this constant change. On Sacrifices are regular. You've got to come back every year for the Day of Atonement. Your last year's offerings won't do you for the next year and so you've got to keep coming back and so there's this repetition that happens. And so in chapter 7, He's kept kind of just doing this. The priesthood was good. It had a purpose. Melchizedek is better. Because there's an eternity. There's a, an unknown aspect. No beginning, no end. He's greater than Abraham, which is pretty significant for the Jews to understand. He's greater than Abraham. At least the story gives that indication. God's word gives that indication. And then it, it kind of reminds us he resembles the Son of God. And then Jesus is the whole point chapter. So all I've done on the insert is just flag a couple phrases that I, I think just kind of 
kind of pop and are worth taking some time to think about. Verse 16 in Hebrews chapter 7 talks about, says Jesus has become a priest not because of who he is or what tribe he was from. That's how it works in the Old Testament law. Jesus has become a priest on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. I mean, of all these five phrases I picked, that, that one phrase kind of just keeps reverberating in my mind. You might find another phrase, but this is the one for me. Oh, technically I should say the most important one to the end, but we just going on a lot. This is the power of an indestructible life. A priest in the Old Testament, and a priest in any religion, is, is kind of like a bridge, right? Between the worshiper and God. A priest is to be a bridge. To, to span the gap and the chasm that separates us from God. What kind of bridge can someone who has the power of an indestructible life build? This indestructible life was about us. This indestructible life was appointed by God and he identified with us. His priesthood is continuous. It does not change. He does not change. There is no end to his reign. He has become a priest on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. Yes, he died. But he rose. And he ascended. I'm good with the historical accounts that Jesus rose from the dead and that he ascended to heaven. There were witnesses. And I realize that not everybody is happy with the, the biblical evidence, even with the non-biblical evidence about Jesus' resurrection. And I realize that you can't always dot all the I's and cross all the T's. Faith isn't about having it all sorted out, right? Faith isn't about having every little question answered. Faith always leaves room for God. The power of an indestructible life. Jesus crucified, risen, and ascended, and as we sang this morning, at God's right hand. Approved, vindicated, and exalted. What kind of priest is Jesus? He is a priest on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. Secondly, verse 19 says, And a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. The Old Testament regulations, the Old Testament tabernacle, the Old Testament temple was good as far as it went, but it didn't go far enough. It couldn't go far enough. Because the priests were sinful. The people were sinful. There were limitations as to who could get close to God. You could get close to God, but only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies and be in the very presence of God. And even then, before he did that, he had to offer his own sacrifices before he went in. So there's this human limitation that sort of kicks in with the sacrifices of the Old Testament. There's, there's issues of distance and there's issues of limitation. It's like you can get close, but no closer. But Jesus offers a better hope. 
fact, the word better comes up numerous times throughout the book of Hebrews. Jesus brings us into the living presence of God. We can draw near to God, is the phrase that comes up four or five times in the book of Hebrews. Through Jesus, we can draw near to God. Through Jesus, we could get close to God. There is no barrier. There is no curtain that separated um, the priest before he went to the Holy of Holies and the other priests that had to just stay outside and watch. And then the, the barrier that had the people back even further, right? Through Jesus, you and I can draw near to God. sacrifice is offered once. It's not this repeated, repetitious thing to, to, to get right with God. I like what David said about church being fun. And I like what he said in the video about this little guy discovering that church is good. That there's this attraction. That there's this sense of, yeah, this is the place to be. Not that repetitive oh, Sunday. Oh, yeah, better set my watch. We're doing Tim Hortons cards for the grandson. And Sharon had the idea, and so we bought the binders and we're going to send it in the mail to them, right? And Sharon had the idea, because that's sort of Hayden's favorite word, we should, she's going to cut out cards, like cardboard the size of a hockey card. The word B-O-R-I-N-G on it, because that's what he said last time we gave him hockey cards. <laughs> He's getting them anyway. <laughs> it's for the future. <laughs> But no, that repetitive idea, right? In church and, and, oh, here we go again. It's interesting if you think about it. Jesus became a priest through the power of an indestructible life. Remember what Paul said in Romans chapter 8? About the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us. Oh, I start putting those threads together. And here's the power of an indestructible life. And the spirit of the one, God, who raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. I don't know how it can be boring. I don't know how following Jesus can be boring. I get the repetitive futility of the sacrificial system. But I think I also get why Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 1, talks about what we have as a living hope. The barriers and the boundaries are removed. There is no special place. God does not dwell in buildings made with human hands. There is no barrier. There is no limitation. There is no boundary. We can draw near anytime, anywhere. Those who seek God can find Him if they seek for Him with all their heart. Because of Jesus, we don't even need to worry about having a guilty conscience as we go into the presence of God. Right? If, if we can go into God's presence, we can draw near to God anywhere and everywhere, anywhere, anytime. The priest couldn't do that. You had, to, you had to jump through the hoops. You had to offer your sacrifices. You had to make sure the order was right. And you had to make sure all those things were following, you're following the regulations. So when Hebrews talks about having a guilty conscience, well, if I can come into God's presence anytime, anywhere, 
then I need some way to deal with what's going on inside my head and my heart. I need that cleansing. I need that purification. And that's the point of Jesus. A better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. That constant presence, that constant action and work in our lives is Jesus cleaning our conscience and us asking Him to cleanse our conscience. Because no matter where we are, no matter where we are, going we're in the presence of God it's not just about coming to church a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God and so there is an oath uh, the last part of Hebrews chapter 7 he talks about the oath that God has given about Jesus and that kind of goes back to Psalm 110 again the third verse there, third phrase, because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. We sang God my rock. That's all about the assurance of who God is and what his promises will mean. An oath, a solemn promise has been given and there is absolute assurance that God will do what he says he will do. He is the guarantee of a better covenant, a better relationship. See, a covenant, the idea of a covenant is it's binding on both parties. The greater is bound to the lesser, and the lesser is bound to the greater. God is bound to us. That's why he gave an oath. And we are bound to him. That's why we receive the promise. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantee, the guarantor, some translations say, of a better covenant. Therefore, he is able to save completely. This is my second favorite one in the five. Therefore, he is able to save, King James Version, to the uttermost. I love that phrase. He is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. We sang about that this morning. Jesus being exalted at God's right hand, place of authority. But he's, he's active. He is our intercessor. He is our advocate. He is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. How did, how did Kevin word it as, as he closed off our worship time this morning? He said, through you, speaking to Jesus, through you we come. He is able to save completely those who come to God through him. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. But what's he doing? He's waiting for, Hebrews tells us elsewhere, his, his enemies to be made his footstool, but in the meantime, he always lives to intercede for us. He's our intercessor. He's our, he's our advocate. Verse 26 says, Such a high priest truly meets our need. Remind me of the song we sometimes sing, Everyone Needs Compassion. Most of us, I think, if we've been around church a while, would say, yeah, everyone needs a Savior. Okay? How about everyone needs a helper? Well, maybe we need to personalize that. Do we need help? Do I need help? Do you need help? How are you at asking for help? Do you want help? When help is given, do you receive it? 
what an intercessor is, is a helper. Do we need help? Do we realize that we need help? He always lives to intercede for them, for us. He is always at the Father's right hand, speaking to the Father on your behalf and on my behalf. That's a pretty good picture. 24-7. 24-7. Every day. Until you return. Finally, Jesus sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. Kind of an interesting picture, isn't it? The high priest, the priest is also the sacrifice. He's both. Jesus is both. He, he is the high priest who, who fits the bill that God is looking for for the person who can, who can die for sins once for all, but he's also the sacrifice. Once for all. Once for all time, once for all people, once for all sin. Jesus is, there's no need for any repetition. Last week we were talking about maturity and what maturity looks like. One of the things I didn't mention, I had it on my notes and I just left it, but the idea of, I think with maturity, there, there is a sense of sacrifice. I think with maturity comes sacrifice. <coughs> Excuse me. And if a sign of maturity is sacrifice, then Jesus kind of, again, sets the model for us, right? And what are we designated as in the New Testament? You and I, as followers of Jesus, we're a kingdom of priests. We're a kingdom of priests. That's our role. What do priests do? They intercede. Priests bridge the gap for people to God, to Jesus. And then I think we know what Romans chapter 12 says, that sac- what that sacrifice looks like. We present our bodies as living sacrifices. That's our spiritual service of worship. Five pictures. And I, I think those, those phrases are very graphic. I think they're, they, they sort of help paint a picture of who Jesus is and, and what makes him this great high priest. One person wrote, said, said this about Hebrews, particularly chapter 7. He said, The writer can't get enough of thinking through who Jesus was and is and what he achieved in his death and the new life that emerged on the other side. The writer can't get enough thinking through who Jesus was, who Jesus is, what he achieved through his death and the new life that emerged on the other side of the crucifixion. I think that's a pretty good summary. So as we come around the communion table, let's go back to chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. just going to read the last couple of verses. Page 1109. Hebrews chapter 4. And as you're following, as I'm reading it, I'm going to invite the elders who are serving communion with me. And I'm going to invite Kevin and the worship team to make their way back to the platform. Hebrews chapter 4. This great high priest who has offered his life so that we can have life. Hear the word of the Lord. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, 
penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And if that's true, <laughs> where does that leave us? Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We can approach the throne of grace at any time, anywhere, wherever you may be. Don't think that it's just because it's communion. But certainly that, I, th I think that puts it in perspective. power and an indestructible life. Born, crucified, raised, and ascended. That's the Jesus we honor that we eat the bread and drink the cup. That's the Jesus to whom we say thank you. I think it's good that we're kind of a week ahead of Thanksgiving. I think that gives us a nice lead in for next weekend. Uh, Kevin's had some songs that talk about that. Our prayer for the bread and our prayer for the cup. I'm going to invite anyone to pray a prayer of thanksgiving. Just Maybe you've got a picture. Maybe there was another phrase for you this morning of who Jesus is and what he has done and why he is so precious to you. And I know we're not going to pass the mic around if two of you are praying at the same time. That's Right. I'd like a couple of us just to pray now, just a prayer of thanksgiving, a prayer of gratitude, a prayer of appreciation, as we humble ourselves before God and as followers of Jesus. We eat the bread, which speaks about the body of Jesus that was given for us. Then we'll pass the cup and we will then drink together the cup that speaks about the blood of Jesus that was shed for us. And if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've recognized Him as your Lord and Savior, you know that He is the one appointed by God to be the Savior of the world. You're invited to join us as we participate. But let's just pause. And if God is stirring in you words of thanksgiving, words of appreciation, I just invite you to stand and, and pray where you are. And then we'll distribute the bread. Let's pray.